Hello, this is Karen Rands of the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show podcast. I am excited today to uh, be covering a topic that uh, seems to create quite a dilemma for entrepreneurs that are raising capital, whether they are a startup raising their seed round or a an established company that is looking for growth capital. You know, they're, 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 there's truly utter confusion on where to go. Um, for I've just to give you a, a back a backside or I got a a little bit bit behind the scenes. If you don't know me already, I have been working with entrepreneurs and investors uh, for over 15 years. I I cut my teeth in the corporate world for IBM, where I worked with venture capital funds and and corporate venture funds to invest in companies that were first going to market in the height of the dot-com and the uh, what used to be called application solutions providers and click and mortar and all that kind of stuff, those old terms, and um, went out to go help a client of mine from IBM to go raise their last bit of capital that was in the height of the dot-com bomb. And little did I know that that parade that I just had to get into was like the... the uh, the uh, Animal House parade of it going down a dead end alley, everybody smashing into the wall. And I was one of those people that was smashing into the wall. But I discovered this brave new world of angel investing. And it was stunning to me that there were people that actually wrote checks out of their own checking account with that were five, were five six figures and put it in and they bought equity of companies before those companies went public or before those companies got bought and before you ever even ever heard of those companies. I was like, wow, people really do that? I mean, I'd heard of the term venture capital. Everybody had heard of the term venture capital, but I never heard of the term angel investing. And so um, fast forward, I had the opportunity, you know, the Lord leaves you on these these windy roads sometimes um and i believe that i've been put on this on this uh god's green earth to lead the compassionate capitalist movement that's why i call my show the compassionate capitalist show and that is to bring to educate people entrepreneur uh, investors people with any form of now any form of a discretionary income to diversify their port investment portfolio to not just include public stocks and uh, real estate, but to also include investment in entrepreneurs, investment in the private equity of entrepreneurs in stock bef- when they're still a private company. And that is as just as good of an asset class as um, a stock market is and the uh, real estate market is if you know how to do it. It's not a perfect science, but none of those investments are um, without risk. They have a risk-reward analysis, but the risk associated with investing in private companies, the reward is even greater. The greatest wealth in our society, you look around at who has made the most money, they have made it as entrepreneurs. And the next greatest wealth, which is not as well known, but the next greatest way to create wealth is investing in entrepreneurs. And so... Um, in the time that I have left on this earth, I am committed to spreading that word of compassionate capitalism or that idea of compassionate capitalism. It's not just about investing in um, 
or it's not about buying and selling because we are a capitalist country in the United States. It's not about just buying and selling stock or buying and selling real estate. It's about doing more with your money that also creates money and creates wealth. So it's investing in an entrepreneur in their vision and their dream and their passion and understanding their ability to succeed because they have a great strategy to do that and investing so that their innovation can come to the market and jobs can get created that grow our economy and wealth can get created for those founders and those that invest in those founders. And so that is compassionate capitalism. And so angel investing is a big part of that. And I'm going to get into talking about the two pathways of which to raise capital, how they operate parallel, and then how can they be integrated to be a successful capital strategy for an entrepreneur that is either starting up a business and raising capital or growing a business and needing to get access to capital. And so it is, um, and the reason why I'm covering this is because I have been advising a company that is going to market to raise capital and working with them um, not only as an investor in their company, but also as a um, um, an advisor, a member of their company into, into growing their business and launching their business. And, you know, and I work with companies a lot of times that are in a growth stage and need and, and can't find that they can't go to uh, angel investors and VCs and need to use one of the crowdfunding platforms in order to raise capital. And they need to grow their revenue, grow their market awareness, grow their brands. They're a national brand. They use a various mechanisms to do that, that we advise them on to create the, the trust of the, of the, um, uh, create the trust of the marketplace to the in that CEO in that company to be able to invest in them even though they they haven't met them just like they would invest in a private in a, a public company because everything looks good they've got a good potential for growth on the upside and you believe that their stock is going to grow once you invest in them and so that um, and I and I work with them on investor relations so Crowdfunding is, is a core part of what I do when it comes to raising capital for companies in my investor relations because as I ran these angel investor groups, um, as I ran the network of business angels and investors, I uh, took it over in 2005, married it up with my consulting organization, Launch Funding Network, operating it underneath the umbrella of Cougar and Capital Holdings, and we used to do pitch events. We were an angel investor group that companies would come to, we would screen them just like angel groups do now, and we would consider them for investment. Uh, and then we would um, help them or hope that they would go out and either that would be all that they would need and they would go on and go forth and prosper. And then we would create a return on our investment or they would go out and get VC money and they would grow even bigger and we would get a return on our investment. And so I deeply entrenched in that area. I saw that there was always this one gap in a, a barrier that that entrepreneurs um, had in raising capital, and that was getting access to investors that even that were outside of angel groups, and there was really no way to do that because general solicitation was banned. You could not do that unless you were a public company. You could not solicit to an audience of people to raise capital unless you were a public company. 
Um, that was really the, the barrier that how the SEC differentiated between a private company raising capital and a public company raising capital was really about general solicitation. And if you've met a certain set of guidelines, you could raise money from investors um, to, you know, to invest in you as a private company, um, um, you know, prior to going public, okay? So they were, uh, but, the, but there was often, you know, most angel groups, so I'm going to talk about the angel side of this and the VC side of this first. So the angel, most angel groups were, are narrowly focused either based off of region or a certain type of company. They might be a biomed angel group. They might be a woman, uh, women investor group that invests in women companies. They might be um, in technology companies, which might include med tech and uh, uh, life sciences or biotech along, uh, along with regular tech. Um, it, but typically it's geographically restricted. It's, sometimes it's just within their area or their state. Some of them will go into a regional aspect of it because they may be syndicating with other angel groups in that aspect of them. Um, they, but there, there is some, some criteria that they establish. Uh, their Angel Capital Association is the organization that all these, that the structured angel groups that form networks, they typically charge a fee to participate in that angel group, a membership fee, and they typically will have a, a minimum investment a mandate in a year. Uh, it's all over the place on what it might be. Uh, but then uh, they be join the Angel Capital Association so that they can have some synergies between them and make it easier to syndicate, and they share common tools. Most often, they'll use a tool called Gust that um, entrepreneurs will invest, will uh, apply through, and then submit it to the angel groups for consideration. The other one, the new one on the street, is F6S. That's for founders, and the letters in between F and S, so F6X. F6S and uh, the, and other groups will use that uh, in order to get their, their a, a, a single uniform application process so that when investors angel groups are looking at them they're looking at the same sort of criteria of what is needs to be submitted. Typically that is an executive summary, a pitch deck, sometimes an exec uh, business plan, but initially it might just be the pitch deck and that, and they won't ask for a business plan of financials until you've gone through a screening committee. So when you're dealing with angel investors in that group, they, they are, uh, the Angel Capital Association estimates that there are about 13,000 to 14,000 accredited investors that participate in the hundreds of angel groups that are registered through them. Now, there are ad hoc angel groups that might be a group of, of folks that are part of a country club or they live in a certain area or they, they went to a certain school or they were um, at a certain college or they um, uh, worked for a certain company and they form an ad hoc angel group. It might only be five or 10 of them versus the average number in an angel group itself is 45 people, 45 to 30 to 50, 60 people. Some of the really big ones like Tech Coast Angels might have 100 and then they'll have two. They'll have Tech Coast Angels 1 and Tech Coast Angels 2. Uh, you get into organizations like the Koretsu Forum and they will have, um, um, they, they kind of advertise it even though there's Gosh, I think there's 50 of the angels. There might be 50 Koretsu groups. They um, will have, they, uh, you know, market themselves as having a thousand angels because they're in a certain group, but they invest across the country. They're not re geographically restricted and they're not 
uh, industry restricted because their investors come from all different types. Um, you know, it's one of the groups that I've just started working with that uh, providing my book as a due diligence tool is um, is Bridge Angels out of out of Florida, and they've got a lot of executives that have been retired that that vacation down in Florida. They're retired from all different types of companies. So they'll look at all different kinds of companies. The one type of company that most angel groups, by and large, do not look at are consumer products uh, and, and probably pharmaceuticals and movies. Okay, movies and entertainment, because it's hard for them to, uh, consumer products, they think the barrier to entry to getting successful in the marketplace is too high, and so there's a lot of cost associated with that. Uh, they typically won't do things that have a lot of, of manufacturing costs associated with them. And so, and they don't do movies because it's hard to predict what the revenue streams are going to be for them for a movie. And they have to be similar to pharmaceuticals. Pharmaceuticals have to go all the way through the process and get to almost to FDA trials before angel groups will invest in them. And at that point, their valuation is high. Typically, with angel groups, you're looking at a million, two million dollars in the initial valuation. They'll go from um, seed stage, where it's an idea, through to what they call um, it's still a seed stage or a series A round where they have some revenue. They've got a, a developed, patented, ready-to-go product. They've got a validated customer. And so, you know, from that seed stage to that stage, the, you know, angels typically fall within this scope of businesses that, or angel groups fall within this scope of businesses that um, have have are in the technology space. They're located where they're and they're earlier. They're located in the vicinity because they want to be active. They're going to put somebody on the board of that group of that investor, and they want to be able to go and knock on their door, you know, and check on them and help them and mentor them. So the, a lot of the angel groups will will do that. They will have champions in their group that will become the mentors to the to the group to the uh, company that they invest in. They typically invest anywhere from 100000 to 250000 as a group into the company. So if you're raising a million to two million, that means that you have to syndicate with other angel groups. You have to be prepared for that. Um, and then when they come out of that, the next phase typically is VC. So give you a, 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 so we talked about 13,000 potential angel accredited angel groups that are identified at angel uh, and hundreds of angel groups themselves, so the individual angels and the angel groups, and the, then the VCs. So the amount of money, the, the billions of dollars that go in at angel stages on the angel side um, is significant. It's probably 10 times the amount that goes in from a VC side. So the very nature of that says that some of those angel company, angel investor companies don't get through the gambit to go to the VC route. When they come out of VC, they're either going all the way to public or they get many more rounds of VCs in them or they may go into the private equity. Private equity is the next piece of capital, which is where they're typically $5 million dollars um, uh, in EBITDA, three to five million dollars in EBITDA, they're going to be ten to twenty million dollars in revenue before they'll get an equity round for private equity funds that eventually leads to an M&A round or them be selling the company. Okay, so that's sort of your traditional sector that had been around since the 19. Well, it's really, I mean, angel investment has been around since the 1933s, but the whole idea of VCs and all that stuff didn't really start until the 70s, didn't really come into very being vogue in the 80s when you had the Microsofts and the Apples and those guys and angel investors came on board and until you got to the mid-90s when you had 
um, the Ebays and the Amazons and, and those guys getting into the marketplace and the really big tech companies that you see, you know, that was sort of the path of those and it's had an ebb and flow. And, and, uh, uh, and I will tell you that there are, depending on which list you look at, there's six million people that could qualify as angel investors or accredited investors, accredited, specifically to accredited. You typically have to be accredited to be part of any angel, any structured angel investor group. Um, but, you know, it, with that number of 13,000, and let's just say with these private groups, there's 15,000 that are accredited investors in an, an investor group that pales in comparison. That's what I don't, uh, if you got, if you got 8 million and there's 16,000, let's just say that number. So you got, what, that's 2%, 2% of the people that could be accredited investors that are actually angel investors. That means that they make uh, $250,000 as a, as a single income or $350,000 as a household income. And they have a million dollars in net worth that is, um, um, not including their primary residence. That's what it takes to be a call, an accredited investor. Not a very high bar in this day and age of, you know, inflation. Now, back in the 1930s, that was a lot of money. Back in the now, not so much, okay? The only real change, they upticked it a little bit in the 80s, but they, um, they added the million dollar, not your primary residence in the early 2000s. But, you know, other than that, it really hasn't changed much. There's been a lot of resistance lobbying against angel investors not to. Um, and now there's really not much reason to because of the nature of crowdfunding. So let's let's jump over to, to on the crowdfunding side. So, you know, we talked about the narrowness. I have a, 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 a podcast I did a couple weeks back where I talked about the impact of crowdfunding, impact of angel investing, and the, and the wealth that's been created in, uh, in various um, communities as a result of angel investing. Because when you fuel the entrepreneurs and you help entrepreneurs succeed through having access to capital, you create jobs, your economy thrives. It's just, it's just the, the way it is, okay? It's just black and white. You know, it is the way it is, okay? That's that, there's no two cents about, way about it. So, we found ourselves in 2000 um, with, uh, in 2008, leading into the Great Recession, 2009, you had a phenomena going on at that time called reward-based crowdfunding. It was crowdfunding. They had to differentiate it from equity crowdfunding and call it reward-based because at that time, equity crowdfunding didn't exist. It was just crowdfunding. And so there was hundreds of crowdfunding sites. The biggest ones would be Kickstarter and Indiegogo and, and those guys that um, would, uh, uh, put out and companies would be able to get to market early with, um, and I talked about this in one of my other, other sessions, so I won't go into a lot of details, but they would be able to get uh, their product built, their uh, initial inventory, and in, a, in effect pre-sell it, re, you know, early sales to the uh, targeted market of customers that would uh, supply their seat, seat stage at that time. So. You know, that was really kind of what it was doing. And um, a couple things happened. We had uh, a recession where banks were collapsing. They could not loan to small businesses. They couldn't loan to these types of companies. And so there was a real, I guess, shortage of capital in the marketplace to for startups. And the, um, our legislature looked around and said, we need to do something that makes it easier. A lot of people were lobbying. If you want to grow the economy, the greatest source of job creation is from the jobs that are created uh, from startups. 
and um, this the thing I and and there's these millions of um, potential investors out there that entrepreneurs don't have access to because they're not allowed to solicit general solicit to them. They can't advertise that they're raising capital. So how are they supposed to find them? And you got these angel groups, but these angel groups are kind of, of narrowly focused. What about the company? What about the restaurant down the street? What about the company that has been in business for a year or two years, has a million dollars in revenue, they, they raised it uh, from friends and family, or they took out of their savings and started their business, and now they want to franchise, they want to grow. Where do they go get capital? Uh, what about the... Um, what about companies that are five million in revenue? They can't go to private equity funds. They've been fueling their growth along. They, where do they go get capital? They can't go to the bank and get a five million dollar loan. They're not going to loan that money to them. They don't have the assets to warrant that. They don't have the cash flow to warrant it. So where are they going to go get money? Um, where does somebody that's invented a wonderful new dog food that it ha doesn't have any kind of chemicals in it or something? Where do they they go? What about? Uh, the new brewery that's going in that wants to get started. We've had changes in legislature. What about them? Where do they go get funds? You know, they're not going to be able to go to a tech angel group. So where do they go get money? So the 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 our our folks in Congress recognize the Capitol Hill recognize that there was this challenge. The banks weren't lending money, and there was a barrier to these companies raising capital. Likewise, on the flip side of that, they realize that. Um, a whole bunch of companies had raised a lot of money from reward-based crowdfunding and had gone on bypassing individual investors to the VC round or just going to market. And those people that had put $5, $10 million in exchange for a product, your Fitbit, your drones, your 3D printers, all of those came out of, um, not the Fitbit in particular, but your intelligent watches, devices, they all came out of reward-based crowdfunding where those first investors didn't get to share in their success. So with the collapse of the stock market and the collapse of real estate investing, a lot of people lost their retirement. A lot of people in 2009, 2010 lost, they've been investing in real estate, they lost their assets, and it was going to take them a decade to recover from that. So why not give them an opportunity to also invest in these exciting new companies so that they would be able to share in their success? And we had what we call the great economic democratization of the capital markets. So investors that had liquidity could invest just like angel investors that had created all this great wealth from investing in, I mean, Jason Kakanis, he's a peer of mine in the angel investor world, has a book as well as mine. You know, he his book is about him putting $900,000 into Uber after he had sold his company, um, and that became $100 million, right? Well, he got lucky, right? It's hard to predict that kind of stuff, and he talks about that story of him going about doing that. Um, and, and I realized that of this... 2% that are doing angel investing, there's this 98% of these millions of people that are accredited investors, plus the other millions and tens of millions of people that are just under that. They might be, or the millennials out there, the people that are up and coming in their career, they're excited, they're living, they don't, they don't drive big fancy cars, they don't do this stuff, they, they're into the experience of life, and they like this idea of being able to get a piece of the action of a, of a company. Jason Connors, on one of the, when he interviewed Seed Invest, the founder of Seed Invest, which is one of your crowdfunding platforms, he had, um, talked about if he could do what he, if he knew what he knew now, and he was a 25-year-old in this day and age, he would get a day job, 
And instead of starting the company that he started and struggled and failed at, I guess, in his first couple attempts at it, he would get a day job and he would carve out on using other people's money because he was getting a salary. He would carve out $500 a month and he would put it into a Reg CF company. And over, instead of a 501, instead of his, I mean, instead of his uh, 401k, he would put into this and over the course of five years, I mean, he might be at that company and he would get vested or whatever. He would have 60 investments in to reg CF companies. And of those 60 investments, um, he would have 10% of them have hit out the ballpark and he would have made a lot more money out of that than he would have. So six out of those 60 would have done well enough to make up for all the other investment and over and beyond and more than what he could have invested into a 401k during that time. He would have tens of millions of dollars in his theory. Okay. So I looked at that, I saw that, and that was one of the reasons why I wrote The Inside Secrets to Angel Investing, my best-selling book. It's a primer that if you're an investor listening to this or if you're an entrepreneur that is looking at thinking about investing in other entrepreneurs, then you need to get that book because it is a how-to-do-it book, step-by-step -step guide on how to invest in private companies before they go public, before they, they get big enough to get bought. And 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 it disciplined doing it, and it has a portal that is, that is thousands of dollars, literally thousands of dollars of resources to be able to get, get savvy at investing in entrepreneurs. If you are new to angel investing, if you're a part of an angel group listening to this, get that book and use that book as your primer. Okay, it is a primer. I will be working on follow-on books and I'm working on my entrepreneur book right now that will be a primer for entrepreneurs on raising capital and getting to business. So. Let's get, so, so that's what that book is. It's to educate, bring net new smart money into the marketplace so the Great American Experiment of the Jobs Act wouldn't fail. Um, it wouldn't fail as it was um, it, because of entrepreneurs jumping in based off of a compelling video and losing their money and then telling all their friends, don't invest in entrepreneurs because we don't want that to happen. We want it to be something that people can step in and pursue their passion and become an entrepreneur and know that there's a way to get capital. And likewise, people that have a wonderful, beautiful, comfortable job um, and like to leave the office at five o'clock and play golf on Fridays or golf on Mondays or whatever and take their three-week vacation with their three weeks of vacation that's paid vacation with their family to go to Disney World can do that and they can get the entrepreneur buzz and spirit and, and the high of being an entrepreneur by investing in an entrepreneur. That is what I'm trying to accomplish with the Compassionate Capitalist Movement. So, the crowdfunding side. There are five ways to raise money from a crowd. There's reward-based crowdfunding. That's the Kickstarter type of thing. And it is still a valid way to raise capital and create your proof of concept and get an initial inventory out to grow your revenue, grow your value, so that you can then go and raise money through the, the pathway of an angel investor group um, or you know, go into one of the other ways. There is Reg CF. Okay, which is you can raise money on a national basis, um, uh, up to a million dollars. You have to go through a registered portal that will do a review. They're on the hook. It's registered and, and managed through FINRA, and that's Reg CF. Okay, raise up to a million dollars. Then there's 
Reg, there's Intrastate, where you can raise up to $5 million. The old Reg D-504, that was part of the original 1933 Securities Act, got modified by the SEC to support the Intrastate so that most states now have a way for companies within that state to raise money from investors in that state up to $5 million, and they can be accredited and unaccredited. You need to go to your attorney general in your state or secretary of state and figure out and learn what the rules are for your state, okay? Then you go to um, Reg D-506, and there's 506B, which is the traditional way of raising capital. You can raise um, unlimited amounts of money. Uh, you can have up to 35 accredited, unaccredited investors in a 506B, and all the investors have to do is sign a form saying that they're sophisticated and accredited. It's an investor questionnaire that's part of that process. Um, and you don't file with anybody. You can't, and, but you, you just have to, there is a form that you file with the state. Then you have 506 See, and you can general solicit across the country to anybody, but they have to prove that they're an accredited investor. You can raise unlimited amount of money in a year, and they have to. You have to prove that you're an, they're an accredited investor. That means that they that it's done in one of three ways: either there is a licensed professional, a accountant, a lawyer, a um, an accountant, a lawyer, or a, a financial advisor that provides a letter saying that that person is an accredited investor, um, or they submit their like balance sheet of, of assets and liabilities and their net worth, um, or they basically do like they do with a mortgage loan. They submit uh, tax returns and you know the past two years tax returns that show that they qualify based off of, of income and just like they were qualifying for a mortgage. And so those are the three ways that they, they certify. And then you roll into Reg A. So the Reg A had always existed as well. Uh, it was primarily used for banks and hedge funds and bonds and things like that for raising capital. Um, and it meant that you could go, you can raise it, it. So they got divided into type, one, type A and type, type one and type two. And they, um, it's type one and type two, and then uh, type one is is you register within the um, the state. Uh, you register with each state under the blue sky laws, and then under the second uh, the second time you don't have to register. You have to register with the SEC with audited financials, and you and it's it's like going public, but you don't have to go public. It's a it's an easier, simpler path, and you can complete your rest of your paper filing, and in six months it's a backdoor into the public offering market. But you can raise money from uh, unaccredited and, and accredited investors. So. Reg CF is the only one that requires you to go through a licensed portal. The other ones do not require you to go through a licensed portal, but you do have to have a transfer agent to handle the paperwork with the investors um, and uh, manage the communication with the investors and hold the money in escrow. There are now dozens and dozens of hundreds of equity-based ones. Um, they're all over the place in what they offer. And please understand the different ways that you can raise capital from a crowd because there are nuances on that. And you can do Reg CF along with these other, with a 506C or a Reg A plus or an interest state. They're not exclusive. You can do them simultaneously. You can um, raise money within your interest state as well as as you start to raise money on the national basis. 
uh, some of the portals like True Crowd will differentiate them. Some of the other ones, so you have to look and see if they, they'll handle and they'll file all your paperwork for you, which is a big plus. Um, some of them cost money up front. Some of them don't. Um, some of them just take money on the back end, 6%. Uh, cannabis companies, they'll take 7% by, authorized by law. Um, some of them will have a due diligence, they'll do a 506 they'll have a due diligence fee. If they're filing stuff with the state for you or the SEC on your behalf, there'll be a fee associated with that. But it's all, you know, so um, they, what tends to, if you go through some of those sites, what you'll see is that consumer-based, consumer-facing things that are raising money from uh, people th or people that will be using the product. When you can reach out and touch your buyer, then um, they, you know, of your product, they are that you are a good candidate for for any of those crowdfunding platforms. Um, then it gets into sort of a nuance. So, uh, Reg CF or Interstate can be used as good as part of a friends and family round, a seed stage round that rolls into the other part of the funding. Like, say you need a five hundred thousand to start your company, you might try to raise seven hundred thousand under one of those programs or more you know, up to a million dollars on the Reg CF, so that you've got money to, to take you through that and feel your growth of, of your growth capital under a 506C. Um, you've got some of, uh, you know, you, and so you simultaneous or overlap them um, in order to, to, you know, continue the momentum on those. Uh, 506C and Reg A plus typically should be, they have been done by startups, but they typically are done. I, I encourage companies that have a track record, that have a story to tell, because let me go into, you know, you, you, you have to be able to get to a lot of investors. So let me take a moment to talk about the Cougaran theory of private equity. The Cougaran theory of private equity, um, sort of like Moore's Law, I call it the Cougaran because it sounds better than Kieran Rand's theory, but this is one that I developed in the decade that I ran my angel investor group that, you know, was the the fastest growing angel investor group in the Southeast on Fortune, for, I'm not sure if I've said this already, Fortune, uh, Fortune Magazine's top 50, okay, um, is that, is that, uh, so under the Cougar Theory of Private Equity, the average investment check that an individual will stroke that's an accredited investor is 25K. This is uh, done off of years and years of research. It's consistently come up 25, 30K, something like that. Um, and so there, uh, if you're raising a million dollars, you're going to have 40 check writers. To get to 40 check writers, there's, you're going to, for every check writer, you'll have three people that you will have spent time with, that you're going to answer their questions and all that kind of stuff. So that means that there's 120 people that you're going to spend time with. To get to 120 people that will take time to learn your, to, to look at your deal, to, to, to invest in your deal, then you've got to have a strategy that puts you in, in front of 600 potential investors. That means the pitch events that you go to, the, the business plan competitions, the angel groups that you present to, the individuals that you contact, you have to have a strategy that puts you in front of 600,000, I mean, I'm sorry, 600 investors to get to 120 sweethearts to get to 40 check writers. And when I run, uh, run those numbers by entrepreneurs that have been successful in raising capital, all of the capital they sought, they said, you're actually, it's probably more than that. Okay, so when you fast, when you flip over to the um, 
the entrepreneur, you flip over to the crowdfunding side and you're, and you know anything about internet marketing, there's some order of magnitude of how many eyeballs you have to have look at a website or look at something in order to convert and the number of touches that you have to do. And so raising capital on either of the mechanisms is a challenge, right? On one hand, you've got a very narrow funnel that you've got to get through, but once you get through it, you're semi-qualified and your odds of getting funding from those sources grow, okay? But you may come out the other end and for whatever reason, you're not the right industry, your timing was wrong, you, you just didn't get to the VC side and you kind of get stuck after you've done your angel investor side. Then over on the crowdfunding side, You've got to drive some of these websites. Some of them will have a community of investors. I think uh, Seed Invest has a community of investors that looks at it. MicroVenture has a community of investors that looks at them that they'll promote out to. Um, Indiegogo, the equity side, have a community of investors. They also offer a way for the companies to turn around and sell their products. You know, so you have a combination, uh, the, the Warren Buffett model that says invest in the things you know. Um, fundable and crowdfunder uh, don't charge uh, fees. They go out uh, to their investor community. I think they're the ones. Other ones require you to go out and create the buzz and drive them into your website to do it. True Crowd, you drive it yourself, right? So, you know, e each one is very different. Uh, so you need to look at that when you're looking at um, what is the right fit. So. So just like you have to have a strategy to fill a funnel and get to enough angel investors to fill your funnel, you have to have a strategy that is some magnitude greater than 600. I don't know what the number is. I've not yet been able to figure out. Is it 1,000? Is it 6,000? And you have to have something that's a trust factor because it, what, the difference between angel investor pitching or VC pitching is that you're sitting eyeball to eyeball with them. They're, 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 you're, you're getting to know each other as you go through the process. Where when you're raising money from a crowd, you don't know them. They don't know you. And so you have to have a bar that's even higher than what, what somebody that goes through an angel investing is because you, they've got to be able to go to, if you're raising it through a portal, they're going to have access to your due diligence materials through the portal. If you're raising it on your own, then you need to have your own investor relations page that provides them with access to the due diligence materials. There's a checklist I provide to my coaching clients. It's also part of my book on the resource portal. Best 20 bucks you'd ever spent would be to get this due diligence checklist. Um, but, you know, all the things that an investor is going to care about. Obviously, it's how you're going to go to market. But what is the research that you've done to know what your mar target market is, who your competition is, how do you stack up, what's your go-to-market, how you're going to make your money, what's your cost of goods. Um, do you, if you're an existing business, do you have employee agreements in place? Do you have, um, have you been paying your taxes? Um, what's your background checks? You know, all that stuff. So when we do a, a crowdfunding campaign or investor relations campaign, one of the things we focus on is the trust factor. I've done podcasts on the trust factor so that when somebody hears about you, so when we're representing a company, we're trying to grow their revenue and their market awareness. We use a combination of advertising, social media, marketing outreach, tr uh, trust, generating trust campaigns, um, the trust factor, and um, and then ongoing investor relations, press releases, and things like that, and then using an internet marketing strategy to bring the investors into the funnel so that we can massage them and keep them engaged, right? And so they will, um, you get your, and, and when they hear about your company because they've 
heard about it through some advertising mechanism and they Google it and they want your product, then they go and they say, oh, oh, they're doing an investor relations campaign? Oh, I, that would be great. I would love to be able to um, invest in that company. I didn't know I could do that. I wonder what it takes to do that. And then you take them through your qualification process. You verify that they're an investor and all that stuff before you start doing the due diligence. We build those pages for you. And so then you get, um, uh, and so that's, you know, the path that you go through and you, and you, you, whether you're a startup using the interest aid reg CF, um, into a growth strategy of, um, of 506C or Reg A plus. Reg A plus is, you know, really the companies that have raised lots of money on it are national but they, they're anywhere from $100 to $10,000. But you think about it, if you're raising tens of millions of dollars and millions of millions of dollars, you're doing it in $100 increments, that's a lot of investors, right? That's a lot of investors to manage to. You, you Under a crowdfunding campaign, most often they put them into one single LLC, single purpose entity, so that they will have vote as a block. And because most angel investor groups and most VC groups, this is again why they operate parallel, don't want to have anything to do with companies and a whole bunch of of investors that have put $100 in, $1,000 in, when they're stroking a check for $100,000 or $50,000. They don't want to have, you know, yes, granted, a $1,000 person versus a $50,000 person. The $50,000 person is going to have 50 more votes than the $1,000 person, but still, they, you know, just don't they, don't, they don't, they want them to be a single purpose entity. And because of the way there was a lot of FUD when the Jobs Act first came out, most angel investors have a resistance to it uh, of the crowdfunding campaigns. I've been educating as I talk to angel groups and I'm invited in to come in and talk about economic development and one of the things I do is I teach them when you have a company that you have syndicated with and put a million dollars in and they didn't they missed the VC boat and they're growing slow they might be five million you need to ante up another 50 grand so that it that will convert or be a loan or something so that you they can fund a crowdfunding campaign that's going to last them six months or so and they're going to spread the word they're going to grow their business they're going to launch this new product they're going to grow their revenue and they're going to bring in their investors and the other added benefit of going through that effort of doing that of creating the buzz yourself is that you set yourself up to be in the sites for um, a private equity fund that, or a family office or somebody that looks at you that says, hey, um, this, is, th this company looks really exciting. I, I, I never heard of them before. Um, and they look like they're doing well. We need to watch them so that when they're ready, we can um, make an investment or do an acquisition or something like that. So, you know, that's the added benefit that when you're going through the angel rounds, the VC round, nobody knows about you until you get super big and you're in the press or you got enough money that you're just doing advertising. The other side is that you're growing your awareness and the marketplace while at the same time that you're raising capital. You're using growing your business strategy, growing awareness of your business um, to identify and draw the investors into your funnel the same way you draw your customers into your funnel. So I hope that that explains the difference. Please feel free to email me at Karen at KigaranHoldings.com or go to KarenRands.co so that you can sign up for our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Breaks, which are one to two minute videos that will um, 
uh, give you insights in investing in companies as well as um, raising capital and launching businesses. Uh, do that and you can always email me through that or through the contact form um, or make a comment on this or uh, on the regular blog post on my blog site that this will be posted on karenrands.co slash blog and you know ask a question and I'll answer it if anything I said is not clear. I hope you understand that there, the bottom line takeaway from this is that there is a lot of opportunity out there to get access to capital. You just have to really go into it with your eyes open assuming that you're a validated business that you've done all your dotting your I's and crossing your T's to be ready to receive funding the, the, the different ones map and, and you know are better for different types of businesses and then at some point they can overlap and integrate to help a company get all the way through to the full, full potential of what it is that they should be um, and I hope that you will as an investor you'll go and get my book and you'll stay tuned um, to the entrepreneur book that's coming out and um, I hope you'll share this episode with your community so that they can also learn the nuances between the traditional ways of raising capital and the new ways of raising capital under crowdfunding. And with that, I'm going to say over and out, onward and upward. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist radio show. This is Kieran Rands. Thank you very much.